this is Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez, and you're listening to the Carrero Podcast. Today, our guest is Charles Ralski. Charles is a scientific advisor to Plastics Oceans International. He conducts research with the Arizona State University Biodesign Center for Environmental Health Engineering, where he works on marine and aquatic plastic pollution, a major concern with many ecosystems and environments around the world. Their identification, fate, and impacts are only now beginning to be understood, and Charles has developed several analytical tools to help improve this further. He collaborates with ASU's Fulton School of Engineering on several microplastic projects, in addition to many groups worldwide, including Plastic Oceans. Charles also works on using non-invasive research methods to collect species health information, including fecal samples from wild species like the killer whales. Having this information provides significant knowledge pertaining to stress, reproduction, and overall species health. Charles is an author of a new marine microplastics research that finds plastic waste has been documented in nearly all types of marine environments and has been found in species spanning all levels of marine food webs. The report was published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology on June 6, 2019 titled The Vertical Distribution of Biological Transport of Marine Mycoplastics Across the Epipelagic and Mesopelagic Water Column. Hey, hey Charles, uh, welcome, and, and thank you for, for your willingness to be part of this. So let's just get started. Uh, tell us about your days as an elementary and high school student. Um, thinking back, what were some of your aha moments that have led to where you are today? a good question so i don't know that i had at the time i didn't really have any significant aha moments but what I, now in hindsight when i look back at things i realized that kind of going outside myself at the time and focusing on volunteering really you know made an impact on me and, and i started at an animal hospital where i just would volunteer to take the dogs out and play with them especially the ones that were in need and then i ended up volunteering at a bird of prey rehabilitation center and that, that was really life-changing for me because I could see conservation in action and I could see how, um, you know, the connection between somebody working in the conservation field and how that benefits the ecosystem as a whole. You know, in hindsight, that really left a mark on me. So even though my mom made me volunteer a lot, <laughs> then at the time I didn't like it. Now that I look back on it, I'm, I'm really appreciative of the fact that, that she made me do it. So shout out to thanks, Mom. <laughs> thanks, Mom. <laughs> so, so now... Now thinking about you know still in that in, in that same vein um, within your within your K twelve school years were there were teachers able to actually do any any project based learning or anything anything like that 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 motivated you in any way? Not really. No, that wasn't really a theme. You know, I, I went to a pretty big high school, and it wasn't something. You know, even though we had our pockets of really great teachers and and awesome people to connect with. There wasn't a lot of that hands-on environment. You know, and I think that was just a testament to the fact that it was such a big school with large classrooms. But it's, it's now, now that it's becoming more integrated, you know, that's something that's very optimistic for, I think, the, the kids of the, and the adults of the future. Okay. Um, and so when you, when you finally went to college, um, what did you want to major in and why? Originally, I wanted to major in animal physiology and behavioral studies because I wanted to be a vet. Uh, mostly with, with, I ended up working at a, vet, at a veterinarian's office for about, I don't know, seven or eight years. 
wow. in the kennel and then as a vet tech. So I was pretty convinced I wanted to work in, I wanted to combine that with, with the, like the bird of prey rehab stuff and do wildlife medicine. But then I realized you had to go to school for a long time. And then you, on top of that, you had to work with, with, you know, like small animal cats and dogs for a really long time because a broken leg and a cat is the same as a broken leg and a mountain lion, just bigger. Uh, so once I realized that I didn't want to do that, then I transitioned more towards, I, towards the field I didn't even know what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I started doing internships that I found science and, and doing research. And, and that's where, you know, that's where my path kind of finally found some stability. So now you gather samples of poop and study that. <laughs> I did, yeah. So for a while, that was the one that changed me. Poop <laughs> was the one that made me a scientist. And uh-huh. that, was a, that was a really incredible, you know, internship to be a part of. And then I could, I could marry that with the strength of my institution, which was looking into plastic pollution and, and finding analytical ways of understanding plastic. And, and so that, that combination, starting with the way I still get samples of poop. I just got samples from... This bird uh, in the Palmyra Atoll, I got samples from an otter. So I, I can't escape the poop. The yeah. poop finds me no matter where I go. <laughs> so, so, yeah, tell us about how you got involved and and how do people research whale poop? I got involved primarily just reading an article that I thought was interesting. And then I saw that the group that was doing it was in Washington, which is where my family was at the time. And so uh, on, the, on the article itself, there's an email address for the corresponding author, and I emailed them. And <laughs> that was, <laughs> it was really stupid, but it was successful. And uh, I emailed him and said, hey, you do cool research. Can I work with you? And then he said, sure. You know, wasn't this really complicated internship wow. process? And uh, so I ended up working on the boat. That was pretty significant. You know, and it was, it was a good time. And um, it's a good lesson. It's, this is all stuff that I had to kind of learn the hard way, and this is what I pass on to my students in order to get them into research labs and stuff like that because there's not really a steadfast way of, of learning how to do stuff like this, and I had to kind of scrap to figure it out, and it's something that I try to pass on whenever I can. Yeah, that's cool because I think so often we get stuck in our head about, oh, well, this problem's too big, or how do I get involved, or I can't take it on all by myself, and really all you have to do is just like, reach out and ask someone to help you or like you did you ask this person if you could yeah. research with them and in most cases like all these people that we're interviewing in our podcast it, it's a very common thread where Correct. people just want to work together and they want to help each other out and it's it's not that scary you just need to start somewhere right yeah exactly and and i guess the one thing that helped me in that scenario was i had out of genuine interest, I had read about that internship and that research as much as I could, just because I thought it was so cool to, to not only integrate a non-invasive form of analysis, but to also integrate scat detection dogs, and which are former rescue dogs. And that was such a cool concept to me. So by the time I actually approached the people, I had learned a lot about it. And that, that to them spelled out initiative, which is what you really want in someone that's going to join the program. So if you, one of, one of my favorite terms came from a, an E.O. Wilson book where he said you kind of have to become an entrepreneur of science and an entrepreneur mm-hmm. of just, you know, teaching, your, making yourself into kind of the best versions for that particular project and it ends up being pretty successful. Okay, so so now um, let us know what you're, what you're doing now. Um, uh, because as you as you know, or may or may not know, our our podcast focuses on problem based or project based learning, um, as as well as innovative tech. Um, how do you see your your work, and how do you work with schools? That's a good question. Innovation is big at the university I'm at. I think it's you know top three in terms of innovation, and to me that just means 
being as interdisciplinary as possible. So it's not just keeping the focus of your research, you know, specific to what your area is, but if you need to branch out to the School of Engineering, if you need to branch out to the School of Sustainability and be able to collaborate with people there, it ends up being this really strong project just because it has the complements of each one of those fields. Uh, in terms of working with schools, this is something that, that I've really tried to push for because there's not really a standard way to get them involved where I am, which is unfortunate. It, I think it's just, again, it's such a big school here, and I, there's so many schools around the Valley that are just busy. But um, in my personal case, I, I go to as many schools as possible and give talks and hold workshops, and you know, I've probably spoken at, I don't know, 20-plus schools over 50 times since I started the program. And, and it's, it's fun for me as it is them, and just to just be able to connect with kids and show them, you know, like Greta said, you're not too young to make a difference. and and, it, it, you know, it's sometimes comp uh, trying to get their parents to change their mentality towards things like sustainability and climate change is impossible so you can work with the kids. And, and they're usually sponges and have their own ideas for, you know, how we can fix the, the future. So then when you're when you're in these schools, give us some of the some of the topics and then some of the responses that you're that you're receiving from from kids. So, of course, I have to talk about whale poop because that's how you get their attention. That's how you got my attention. That was, the first, yeah. that was the first right. thing I asked you about was poop. So Yeah, yeah. Mm. so I start with that, and that's usually a good icebreaker. And I give, you know, depending on the age of the group, I give a, a little talk about, you know, kind of what the research is and what it can uncover and, and how it works. And, of course, I show a lot of videos of, of the dog in action, and of, you know, I show a lot of pictures of whale poop itself. And then... Once I have their attention, I can start talking about what we're finding in there, whether it's contaminants or, you know, high stress levels, microplastics. It ends up, you know, being a, a pretty nice segue into the topic. And, and I have some hands-on activities I've created where I have, for example, one, you know, one of the, one of the dynamics of the research is you have to have a dog communicate to the handler where, where to drive the boat, and which is a lot harder than it sounds because his response to seeing a whale versus seeing a butterfly are the same thing, and it gets really frustrating. Uh, so, <laughs> so what I, I try to do is I have one, one kid blindfolded as the dog and then another kid behind them as the handler, and, and I'll spray something that's much more aromatic than, than whale poop in the air, and the, the kid in front has to tell the kid in back you know, where the direction of the smell is coming from. Wow. They, they really wow. seem to like that. And then I, I have another activity where that's geared around towards microplastics and, and beach sand. And then I have a, a last activity about how to remove the microplastics from the beach sand. So kind of starting with the icebreaker, segueing into information that's important that they can relate to, and then ending it kind of with an activity seems to be a pretty good protocol. And now are your are the students pretty responsive towards towards what's what's going on in um, with microplastics? Yeah, I think they're very responsive to plastic pollution and plastic use. I think that's something that's gotten around, whether it's at schools, you know, where they're employing like an, a recycling program or, or pushing for recycling, pushing for the use of, you know, non-single-use plastics. I think they're certainly aware of, of the concept. And if they're not aware of microplastics, that's where kind of I can factor in and, and you know, describe how, how the particles can get so small and, and, you know, move up the food chain and stuff, so on and so forth. But that, generally, they respond super well, and they're pretty aware of the topic. Okay. How did you become passionate in this area? I, mean, I know you kind of described how you fell into it. You got, I guess, you know, interested in an article. Was there any other, like, I mean, it's it seems like a really niche field. So... Can you shed some light on that? 
terms of plastic pollution? Yeah. Basically, in, in academia, when you're starting, especially a grad program, you want to you find a topic you're interested in and then, more importantly, figure out where their holes are. So the more I looked into microplastic research, the more I realized that they were being reported everywhere, but they weren't, like, the, their relationship to the environment, to the organism they were found in, hadn't been explored. And, and so one of the issues was that they, they would just say, you know, we found 50 blue particles. And then, I, again, that's, there's so many different types of plastics. For example, if the, if the particle is, I don't know, PET, it's not going to have dangerous plasticizers like PVC. So it's important that we understand what the plastic type is. And then from there, we can understand the relationship between it and the surrounding environment, whether it's in the, in the ocean or in you know, an animal's stomach. So I, I and my team here created a method to be able to identify plastic particles you know, all the way down to a micron in size, which is ridiculously small. And then from there, we can use the same tool to study how that plastic interacts with the surrounding environment. And then I also kind of wanted to integrate a social component because for some reason, people would see a picture of a bird that was dead with a bunch of plastic in its stomach. And then that same type of plastic or the same plastic, like the, the lid of a, a water bottle, they would have no reaction to in the supermarket, but then a negative reaction when they see it in a dead animal. So I was trying to figure out yeah. how to get people to kind of make that connection and, and, and realize yeah. it's the same plastic no matter how you look at it. So that, that became really important to me too. So maybe in the future we'll see labels like on cigarettes of a yeah. bad lung, <laughs> but we'll see like a yeah. bird with a plastic water bottle, you know, like in its stomach on our water. Yeah. yeah. I think so. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what needs to be established. And I, that's, that's one of the things I'm trying to convey is, I mean, if you look around, you know, if I glance outside, the cars of today are much different from the cars of, you know, like the model T, yeah. which was incredibly unsafe. You know, the, the windshield would shatter and, <laughs> and impale people. The emissions were gross. And, and now there's, you know, there's Teslas and everything outside, but mm-hmm. plastic hasn't changed since we created it. It's still right. gross. It's still nasty. It's still harmful. And for mm-hmm. some reason, we're, we're unwilling to make that evolution happen. So trying to figure out that connection, that dynamic is, is kind of difficult as well, but important. I find it super fascinating that you use dogs to uh, seek out animal scat. Are you involved in any of that training and that interaction with the dogs leading up to that? I was. So at the time, we were trying to start another dog on the on the program, and it's really difficult. So, you, we, you know, you go to our animal rescue and, and you get a treat and you, you hold a treat or a ball in front of the dogs. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they'll be interested in the treat. But then there'll be one that just will not take his eyes off, off the ball. And no matter what you put in front of them. And it's, it's those kind of dogs that end up being the best candidates for this. They're a little neurotic at times. It might be my dog. For the most part, yeah. Henry. I'm for the most part, him. they're great. Yeah. And so we were trying to get another dog trained. They're, they train them and use them all over the world for different tasks, which is really interesting and cool. Uh-huh. Uh, but, the, yeah, we, I was involved in the training. We, we, we get them first on land by basically getting a whale poop sample, putting it in a container, hiding it, letting them find it, and then you give them the ball to throw around and – eventually you take them on the boat and try to do the same thing where where you know the you have to you have to basically train them on the water and then once you're on the water actively with the whales you you find kind of the direction of the wind you and then you run your boat transects back and forth back and forth until the dog cues but sometimes it's frustrating because they'll cue on like a, a fish or i don't know sometimes they'd be completely stupid and mm-hmm. just get really excited we'd be like bro <laughs> <laughs> Wrong answer. Yeah, but it was it was great because he was 
he was the only male on the boat, and then I was the only male human on the boat, so we had our own room and our own bathroom, <laughs> and then the other four girls that I lived with had to share, so it was kind of glorious. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's funny. That's cute. Um, so, so looking at what, what you have been doing and looking at your experience and the types of interactions that you've been having within schools, what would you wish schools do? Um, and how would you wish teachers to teach? That's a good question. It would be awesome if, if there was more of a collaboration between universities and schools where they had programs that either brought the kids to the school or vice versa and took the, the researchers here to the kids. Uh, I think one of the shortcomings of my department is that people are really smart and hardworking but in this bubble. And there's not a push for them to go outside and speak to others, communicate to others. So there's kind of a, a hesitation for people to do outreach. And I'm saying this around all my colleagues, so I hope they hear it. Um, <laughs> but there's not really a push to get people involved in communicating with anything outside the organization, which I think, I think is, a, you know, is a really big issue. And once in a while, we'll have a cool event here where we have an event called Open Door at ASU where, where pretty much all science labs and labs and, and groups around campus will demonstrate their work through you know hands-on activities and the entire general public is allowed to come through which is I think really important but we need to be at schools more and and, and schools need to be here more just just to be able to see how like I, that's what I wish I saw when I was a kid is I wish I knew how this worked I wish I was taking you know taken on a field trip to ASU to see how science is conducted and I think eventually we'll go down that way um, but in, in terms of teachers I mean they from what I've seen they, they are incredible and they do so much with so little it, it's hard to critique you know anything that they're that they're currently working on I guess my, my again my push would be for the administration on both sides to integrate more of a connection between the academic world and, and schools around around the area yeah and I think it might be easier at our level at the academic higher education level to reach out into the schools and say how can I help how can I get involved how can I share my expertise with your teachers um, than to expect, a, you know, a K-12 teacher to come to us and ask us how to, like, for help, right? I think, um, you know, and that's what we try to do is with our, with our grad students is inspire them to contribute to the world and to get involved and to not just, um, you know, stay siloed in their department when they're teaching, but, you know, to connect their students globally and themselves globally which will make richer learning experiences for their students. I agree. Yeah, and from and from my area, we are such a we we're so lucky to be in the university. We're so lucky to be part of a program that it's not just extended to these walls. It needs to extend to the community, and, and there needs to be more of a push to get a lot of these people to go out and actually do stuff. And they, they don't understand that by being able to communicate with kids and being able to communicate with with adults, you know, really seniors, whoever, it, it improves your public speaking skills. So by the time that you go to a conference to present, you don't sound like every other boring scientist. You actually have a way of connecting with people. And, and, and a lot of people around here are scared to, to do this. But yeah. it, I always tell them, if you can explain your research to kids, you can explain your research to anyone. And you'll get better at, at speaking and connecting with people. Correct. You know, and that's, and that's one of the things that, I guess, one of the many projects that, that have been weighing, weighing on me is that, um, at least in secondary schools, we have we have teachers who had majored in science, and so and so th throughout their undergrad years, they they had access to labs, um, and then once they leave, 
and they're and they're in schools, their their access really diminishes. Um, and so and so, how can we create these partnerships in order, you know, in order to to have um, junior high and high school teachers uh, work with someone like you that's you know, ha- you know actually has a full on functioning lab? Right, and it's I think the the means are there. You know, all you need is someone to approve of it and a bus. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it's it's not difficult. And and so it takes either. You know, it takes some people from our end, especially, to create that. That you know, I, I think the hesitation would be from the schools where they would say, "Oh, we didn't even know that we could, you know, do that. We didn't know that we could drive out and see, you know, because it's a public campus, for example, mine. So you can you can walk around wherever you want to walk. And and all of the labs here, I mean, are, it's like a it, it feels like you're a zoo animal sometimes because <laughs> it's all glass. Yeah. But you can see in and watch people. And so I think part of it, a big part of it, is on us and the university to say this channel of communication is open for those who want to use it. And if you want to be able to take a trip out here, this is the person you contact. And then, you know, you could contact the person and say, we're interested in looking at a vaccine lab. We're interested in looking at a breast cancer research lab. It doesn't matter. But as long as they can kind of, I think it's, it's on us to be able to create that channel. And then once we, the channel's open, then anyone can take advantage of it. So, so then how, if, if there are schools and, and teachers that, that wish to partner with, with you, how would they be able to, to do that? And what, what type of projects would you be interested in? It really is subjective to what they're working on. So, for example, there's, there was a group of Girl Scouts out here that are trying to put forward a bill to ban the release of balloons because it just ends up creating, you know, litter in the environment. Our lovely uh, legislative group or offices took that and threw it out saying that they weren't in the nature of regulating kids' birthday parties. So then they, they reached out to me. And so I then my, my step forward was then to figure out what they needed. They needed to not only have this bill be successful, but I found out that there's such thing as a citizen science badge, which is all sorts of awesome. And so I could say, you know, if this is what these people are, are concerned about, then why don't you create a survey and we'll make some data, some graphs, and you can say, you know, X percent of people are in favor of this and wouldn't care about it not being done at their birthday. And, and then so the bill's going live in January. But, it, it, wow. it, you know, it, it, it's something like that. Or if it's, it's a teacher saying we're studying uh, the ocean before a trip out to Cantalita Island, can you talk about what we might see? I, I cater it really to whatever the, the school is looking at at the time. Um, and if it's something that ends up, you know, being a longer lasting connection, then I'll say, come on out and I'll show you how my research works. Or I create, you know, samples for them to go through and extract plastic fibers from the ocean and, and all this stuff. So I just sort of try to cater it to whatever their their questions are at the time. Do you have any partnerships or any connections with students and schools right now that you're working on? Yeah, well, I have a connection with a lot of teachers. So once they once they hit academic units within anything in my department, they'll they'll hit me up and I'll go out to the school and give a talk. So I mean, I, at least ten or twelve different schools right now that that we've you know at least yearly we connect and, and I'll either go out there or they'll come here. Wow, and you're in the Tempe, Arizona area. Yeah, yeah, but I'll drive to wherever. It's just it sucks because I wish this was a thing. You yeah. know, so I wouldn't have to. It, I love doing it, but it gets to the point where it's a lot of work and money that we don't make a lot of money, and it's a lot of gas and a lot of resources. And mm-hmm. I wish it was a program that could be funded so that more of us could do this, and it wouldn't just, you know, have to be one person. Yeah, and if everyone did a little, then it wouldn't be so much on the few, right? Right, but you have to kind of go outside yourself, and I'm in a department where no one does that. <laughs> 
everyone yeah. thinks about themselves. I think that's a common thread in academia and yeah. higher ed. Uh, we get so stuck in our rut and, you know, we're busy, we're writing, we're researching. We have our own classes to teach. We have finals, you know, like we can all come up with a pile of excuses as to why we can't do it. But, you know, if each if each educator, if each you know professor made one connection with one school and shared, that would still make a difference. And then we'd have a whole bunch of academics out in the fields working with kids and teachers and sharing their expertise and you know, making it a worldwide effort instead of just the effort of a few. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think it falls on us because we have marketing departments. We have communication departments. We technically only get paid to work part-time. So we there is time from our end. And I've been mm-hmm. in the teaching world and I've seen that their schedules and, and how little they make. And it's not, it shouldn't be on teachers right. to have to do any of this. It should be on us to provide 90% of this, and then the 10% from there would just be, these are my students, this is what they're working on, this is what we need from you, and yeah. then we can deliver the rest. Yep. Now, now, tell us about what you're, what you're finishing up, because you're, you're a doctoral candidate now? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, when, are you, when are you done? Uh, next May. I oh, think. nice. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I don't, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> that, and then you just, you just took on a new position? Uh, yeah, so I started working on the side as the director of science for a plastic pollution-based nonprofit called Plastic Oceans International. And I've worked with a lot of nonprofits in the past whose, got to say it delicately, uh, they're, when you follow the money, it goes towards things like showing the logo at a concert, hiring a celebrity to talk over your videos, and not any, you know, I've, I've been affiliated with Nonprofits, and this is the first nonprofit that's actually put their resources into science and into advocacy that that is geared towards all all groups of people. And I'm really, you know, it's it's a great, an unfortunate circumstance, but it's it's great when groups like Plastic Oceans are doing the right thing day after day. Good. Yeah. So they've been a lot of fun to work with, and it's just it's 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 so important that we communicate because science is just so linear. It's just publishing, and then academia over and over and over and over so if there's groups that you can collaborate with if there's marketing departments that'll take your work and package it into something that people care about it's it's, it's so so valuable and so you're finishing up your phd you're working full-time and you're connecting with a dozen schools around the area if you have time to do it <laughs> yeah right you I mean it's rewarding that's what i people don't understand i think they see it as like a chore right but you know i'm and I, you know, whether it's going to schools, I've been mentoring students for a long time because I didn't have resources, you know, when I was an undergrad, and I had to rely on my my CV to get me to places, not my GPA. And so, I figuring out how to do research and work with professors. I've I've taught, I think I've gotten fifty six undergrads into research positions or internships. Wow. And then seventy three or seventy four percent of those are young women, which I'm really happy about because there's a disparity in the science. Yeah. So there's. It, but it's rewarding. I think that's what these people don't understand. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm talking to everybody. When you do this <laughs> stuff, it's so fulfilling, and, and you make an impact. And when I when I get to work with a group of kids, it's like it's like refuels your battery. You know, it's so fun. Mm-hmm. The energy is great to be around. And then, yeah, I, I hopefully that's something that people start realizing more. Yeah, it re- it brings you back to your why. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if people wanted to get in touch with you, 
Uh, do you have any social media or any r ways to recommend if they wanted to collaborate with you or you know get some ideas or share some lessons things like that? What would you like to share with them? Uh, so my email is is pretty available. I, can, I mean, I think Fred's got it. I can send it. Uh, that's usually the best way to communicate. And I do. I'm really bad at social media. I'm trying to learn <laughs> what to do stuff, how to do stuff, and all that. But uh, my Twitter is probably the most active social media public. Uh, handle that I have and that's just uh, it's at lab underscore casual so lab casual which is an underscore in the middle that's the one that I usually connect the most with uh, in terms of academic stuff and then I do have an Instagram but I don't I, I'm really bad at it so I would say <laughs> don't look at that one <laughs> great uh, so as you're finishing up your PhD uh, your dissertation you are done collecting data you're just pulling everything together at this point do you want to share a little I've bit of that yeah, I said that initially, but I'm just about to jump head first into like this super complicated research project. So don't, I'm not don't. really good at listening to myself. I know. So don't the good do thing it. is that I have my chapters pretty much written, so I don't have to really write. It's, I have to write a little bit, but I have one chapter published, one's written, and another one is is on the way. So, uh, but basically, it's it's my my thesis is around microplastic and there's sort of role within the environment and within our our world as well, and then starting a project looking at the impact of microplastics and nanoplastics on humans and human health because that's that's sort of the dimension that's been missing and that's why people don't care about it as much right but uh, it's, it's something that we need to put a lot more attention to and and we're collaborating with um, with the banner hospital out here who's going to be providing us some samples that we can look at which is going to be pretty exciting and kind of gross but We'll see what happens. I like working with whale poop. I don't want to work with human. <laughs> yeah, you know what? There's something weird about that, right? Like That's animal right. poop, not oh, so bad. Yeah. I mean, we pick it up from our dogs in a plastic bag, but <laughs> if it was yeah, human poop, I'd be like, no, no chance. No, 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 no. Yeah, I can. I, I mean, we used to do necropsies on animals that had washed ashore, where we kind of looked to see how they died. But put me in like the same building as a dead body, and I'm out. I'm yeah, not, I don't like it. <laughs> That's something funny. about humans are nasty. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for spending your time with us today. Thanks for your connections with students out in the community and getting them excited about researching and science and getting women involved in science. Appreciate that. And um, thank you for all you do. Yeah. Thanks, thank Charles. Thank you guys, too. Yeah, thanks for providing such an awesome way to communicate with people. This is great. All right, Charles. Take it easy, man. All right. Take care. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Again, if you would like to follow Charles, he can be found on Twitter at lab underscore casual. And if you would like to follow us on our social media platforms, we are edxglobal on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and anywhere else you think you can find us. If you or other educators you know would be interested in joining our podcast and being interviewed, let us know. You can reach out to us on our social media. Also, if you are doing research or you have a really great project you want to share with us, and you would like to write for us for the Carrero Journal, please contact us as well. We look forward to hearing from you.